0: To spend our time together today in this portion of the New Testament, 1 Corinthians 3. And uh, I've had a great time in this series we've been going through. We called it Exponential. And we've learned how we can make little investments in our lives that will reap a great harvest, they'll yield an incredible dividend. When our series started, We learned that we can make investments in the relationships, especially in our families, that will yield an exponential result. And it's amazing how you can sow love and kindness and patience and forgiveness. And years later, you can have a deepness in a relationship that you just can't imagine. Why? Because of an exponential result from an investment that was made. Then we took some time to talk about how in our tithes and in our offerings we give. And what we're doing is we're participating In the work of God, God can take our giving and he can use it in a great way for his work to go forward. We talked about all the good that can come from that and certainly uh, that much is true. And and today as we finish this series, um, I want to share with you that it is incredible when one person gets an exponential result in their lives. It's wonderful when one person has great relationships because they've invested in them and they enjoy those relationships or their life makes an incredible impact because of the investments that they've made. But more than that today, I want us to see the incredible power when a church family coalesces around the principles we've studied and we apply them. Now, each week when I teach, I'm doing my best to teach to individual people. Today, in a very real sense, I want to speak to this collective group. I I want to speak to this church family. Now, if you're our guest today, I'm glad you're here. There will be a lot of ways for you to make an easy application. But I want to bring this message from this part of God's Word to a church family. And this part of God's Word was written to a church family. 1 Corinthians was written under the inspiration of God by the Apostle Paul, To this church in the city of, of Corinth and to be honest with you it was the most messed up of all the churches in the Bible. They had a lot to learn but Paul was kind and loving and gentle and at times very direct and and he shared with them what it was they needed to know. And he taught them that as we worship God and giving of our time and of the gifts he's given us and of the resources we have that we will have the joy of being a part of something that makes the greatest difference that can be made. And we literally get to work together with God. And so, if you're able today, I'd like to invite you to join me in standing as we read the Word together. 1 Corinthians 3, I'm going to start reading in verse 1. And I'll let you know up front, we're going to make our way through to verse 9. And our entire message today is going to come from verse 9. But I want you to get the context and and the setting. In chapter 3 and verse 1, Paul wrote this. He said, And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes, in christ now i want you to get the context paul is writing to a church he addresses them as brethren so he's writing to people who have professed faith in jesus christ and i want you to see that right off the bat paul who was not trying to be unkind he was not trying to be rude he he said to them right off the bat church fellow believers in jesus christ he said i wanted to write to you as though you were spiritually mature people but he said you're really not he said, you're kind of like babies, spiritually speaking. And again, he wasn't trying to slight them or diss them. He, he just said, I'm going to have to put the cookies on the bottom shelf or we all can get them today. I'm going to speak very clear, very plain. I'm going to be very direct. I'm not trying to hurt anybody, but we've, we've got to understand what's happening here. He said, I'm writing as unto babes in Christ, verse 2. I have fed you with milk and not with meat. For hitherto you were not able to bear it, neither yet now are ye able for ye are yet carnal again i'm going to pause here carnal what is that Uh, carnal just means fleshly in this context it's the opposite of of spiritual and and the thought that i want us to take from this and it's a thought i think we all need to keep in our hearts is the reality that it's possible to be a christian to be a saved person and yet to be carnal in the sense that we are not living life spiritually We are living life based on the dictates and desires of of our flesh. And and, and Paul told these people, listen, let me share your problem with you. You, You're like babies spiritually, and you're led about in your life, not by the things of the Spirit, but by carnality or by flesh. And he goes on to say, for ye are yet carnal, for whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are you not carnal and walk as men? For while one saith, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are ye not carnal? In other words, Paul's saying in verse 4, you you know, some of you say, uh, I think Paul is the greatest, and others in the church were saying, I think this guy Apollos is the greatest. And the apostle Paul said, listen, what are we doing arguing about personalities in the church? It's not about the personalities in the church. That's a very immature argument, he's saying. Verse 5, who then is Paul? And who's Apollos? But ministers, he said, or were servants, by whom you believed, even as the Lord gave to every man. I have planted, Apollos watered, but he said, God gave the increase. So then neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one, and every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. Four we are laborers together with god you're god's husbandry ye are god's building and uh, i want you to think of that expression found near the beginning of verse nine where the bible says of us that we're laborers and then he says together with god father thank you for this morning and for each person here today Uh, open our hearts God, may we be the kind of people that can receive your truth in a direct and loving way and just allow it to enter into our hearts and to direct us in the way that would be most pleasing to you. Uh, God, I love you, and I want this time to be a, a beneficial time, and so use it, we ask, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks a lot. You may be seated. You know, if you look the entire world over and searched and searched and searched for that perfect organism or institution whereby a great work could be done, you would find no greater institution than that which Jesus Christ established and founded by the shedding of his own blood, the institution of the local church. I say local church because although we know that uh, all people of faith are born again into the family of God, we know that that universal church, as it's called, it's never going to meet together until after Jesus comes again. In the meantime, Christians around the world are gathered on Sundays and we're, we're uh, getting together, we're learning from the Bible, we're living out our faith in, in what we call today local New Testament churches. Uh, I can say today, I'm not speaking to every church in the world, I'm speaking to this one. We in this locale, uh, we're the body of Christ, we're the people of God, and we've been called together to carry out His will in our world. As Paul wrote to the church in the city of Corinth, he instructed them about the importance of being spiritually mature. He was very candid. And I have found that when people know that you love them, you can say some pretty direct things. And these people knew that Paul loved them. And Paul loved them enough to uh, not mince words. He shared the truth. And, and then he shared that when we serve God together, that we're like farmers. Uh, we, we're getting out the seed of his word to do our best to make it clear. And then we trust God to bring in the harvest. Paul said, listen, uh, I've planted, Apollos watered, but we're one in this endeavor, We're working together, and ultimately, he said, it's God that brings the increase, and so we do our best as a team to work together, but we're trusting in God to do that, which we cannot do. That's to cause a spiritual harvest to grow, and and then he comes to verse 9. In verse 9, Paul said, for we are laborers together with God. Ye are God's husbandry. Ye are God's building. Now, I'm going to look at that verse kind of from the back working my way in for a minute because he says, you are God's. Building. Now there are times in the New Testament when God will refer to a single person as being the dwelling place of God, of being the building of God or being the temple of God. Let me give you an example in First Corinthians chapter six. In First Corinthians six and verse nineteen, Paul said this He said, What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? friends i want you to know i know we live in a pluralistic day that thinks there are no moral absolutes but i believe in a singular god and his truth is true in every generation and in every situation and in that context paul was teaching people of faith we're not to live in moral lifestyles that god has a pattern for our lives to be lived and we're not to be immoral and so he said and so i want each of you to know as individuals your body is the temple of the holy spirit of god and so, what happens in our body and with our body is of great importance because He takes up residence in us. We become His building. We become His temple. But in this passage here, in verse nine, Paul's not speaking to just one person. He's speaking to the entire church, and he refers to them in a singular way as as being the building of God he goes on to say that they're God's husbandry in other words he's using an expression that means we're all just workers on God's proverbial farm that's the analogy Paul was using and that makes great sense the world in which Paul was living was uh, based on agriculture everybody understood farming everybody understood uh, planting and and praying for rain and waiting for the crops to come in and so Paul was using a word picture that everybody who was reading these words would understand what was being said Farming analogies were huge in the New Testament. In fact, Jesus one time was speaking in John chapter 4, and Jesus to his followers said this He said, Say not ye, there are yet four months, and then cometh the harvest. Behold, I say unto you, Lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. Now, listen to what Jesus was saying to his followers. He was saying, in essence, Guys, this world, it's my farm. And those yet to be reached with the truth of my message, That's my harvest and I want you guys to work on my farm to bring in this harvest so that many people can be spiritually Saved and friends. I want you to know I've shared with our church in the course of this study. God's been good to our church We've been blessed and it's not hard for me to look around and realize that more is going to need to be done If we want to bring in more harvest for the Savior I Praise God for what's happened. I thank God for what's happened. I I just want to give you a heads up We're very close to a time when I'm gonna have to come to the pulpit and say guys uh, We're running out of space. We've got multiple services We've got small groups meeting six days a week if we want to see a greater influence in terms of harvest for the Lord we're gonna have to do some things to that regard but when that time comes You need to know it's not a project about two-by-fours or about bricks. It's not about physical construction. The only value in a church building is the fact that people come inside. And God loves people more than anything. Jesus said, don't you ever forget in what you would call church work that it's all about reaching people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, when we are seeking to keep our focus on doing what we can in His power to help more people reach Uh, Be reached with this message. God God is pleased because we're accomplishing his objective And, and to be encouraged in this pursuit Paul told this church. Let me share three powerful lessons with you that will help you as you seek to accomplish the will of Jesus Christ So three very simple lessons for us to take home today. Here's the first one. I want you to see that a church that makes an exponential difference is a church with, number one, a growing participation. If you're still alive, say amen. I love the Bible. It's true all the time. It's always right, and it says what we need to hear. And A church that makes an exponential difference is a church that has a growing Participation back to verse 9. Let's go ahead and take it from the beginning. Paul said this for we are Laborers and I want to stop right there before we go any further I want each of us to understand that if you indeed are here today and you're a believer and by the way If you're not no problem hang with us We're gonna talk about that a little at the end But if you're here today and you're a Christian there is a word that is to typify the way that we live And the Bible word is laborer, a laborer. We're to have a growing participation. Now, in principle, this is true for all of us. But specifically, I want to remind those who call Coastline your church home, we're to grow in this regard. There is a place for each of us in this calling. As the church faced a lot of problems in their early days, I'll talk about some a little bit later, we know that Uh, One of the main problems they had was the fact that too few people were trying to do too much as the church was just getting started. And they learned a lesson. They learned that each person would have to find their place in the work and fulfill the role that God had given them if they were going to be effective together. I Think of the first major conflict in the history of the church I mean the church was just getting started and they already had a conflict It kind of makes me feel good to hear that, you know Every now and then we'll have problems at coastline It just makes me feel good to know in that first church uh, with the apostles leading it They had some problems, too So that's just a normal thing. I think at times in the world in which we're living, but they had a conflict We read of this conflict in Acts chapter 6 the church had grown rapidly. They were experiencing some growing pains And uh, the apostles of Jesus were leading the church and really doing everything they could to get people to Jesus. And what was happening is this. They were getting worn out. They were getting tired. And they were doing their best to do their best. And they were hearing stuff like, hey, you didn't give me enough time or them enough time. And there's nothing more frustrating in life than trying to do your best and having people point out to you that you're just not getting to it all. And and the apostles realized very early on, man, we had 120 people here and we got started and then we added 3,000 in one day. The next page over, they had another 5,000. And so they had a structure in place that was designed to care for a very small number. And now there's thousands of thousands of people and all of the church was looking at the apostles to say, come on guys, can't you do more? We have a whole bunch of needs. Wasn't working out. So they were getting worn out. The church was getting frustrated at what was not being done. And I want to say this today. While it is good to consume in the course of serving God, it's a dangerous thing when we become a consumer in the work of God. Let me explain that. When we consume, that's a good thing in this sense. We're being fed as we come to church. We're being encouraged. We're being provoked to love and the good works. But when we become a consumer, we tend to look at the church for what we can get out of it rather than as a place into which we can plug in to be a part of what's happening. Nothing will kill the impact of your spiritual life like that consumer mindset that looks at the church as a place where we can get served rather than as a place through which we can be a part of a team that serves others. And this early church, this was a lesson they were grappling with because they had this paradigm still that they had to look at those faithful few who could get the work done. And so the apostles in Acts 6, they come to them and, and they say, listen, this isn't going to work anymore. There's more needs than we can ever get to. We need some help here. And in response in Acts chapter 6, verses 2 and, and 3, the apostles said this to the church. Imagine this. They, they said, it's not reasonable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business." Apostle said, listen, there's so much to do. It's not reasonable for us to leave our primary task of prayer and study in the word of God so that we can be the teachers that God would have us to be. And so they said, listen, a team needs to be developed. The word deacon is not used in this passage, but many people believe this is where uh, the role of a deacon came from. And uh, so the, the, the apostle said, you need to develop a team here to help us. To help us the work is too important and the work is too big for just a few to do it all and church I want us to know today that our work is too important because we're seeking to do god's work His work is too big for just a limited few to try to be the ones that get the work done I'm telling you today that god loves you so much that he included throughout his word Testimony to the fact that you are needed as a laborer in the great work that he is doing 1 Corinthians 12, verse 27, the Bible says, Now ye are the body of Christ, and members in particular. That expression, members in particular, means this. There's a place for every member in the church to find a place of service. And friends, the church is never more powerful than when we each step forward and fulfill the role that's in front of us. We'll never be all we could be. We'll never do all we could do. Until as a church family, we make a decision to have a growing participation A few weeks ago, I read a, a book and uh, it was entitled Seal of God It was a book about a, a young man by the name of Chad Williams And uh, he tells the story of growing up in Huntington Beach and spending a lot of time in Oceanside That's kind of what got my attention And, and uh, he had a lifelong dream of uh, uh, excelling as he got older It matured into I want to be a Navy SEAL Hence the title Seal of God so he, he started training, and then he went down and, and uh, joined up, and he's going through this process of training to become a Navy SEAL. And in the process of all of that, uh, he, he went to a Harvest Crusade. Greg Laurie was preaching. He heard the gospel message. At the end of the message, uh, he accepted Jesus Christ as a Savior. And it changed his entire life. It changed his whole life. So it's from there he uh, uh, he continues to go through his training and, and he wrote in great detail several chapters he kind of went into the process of becoming a Navy SEAL and he talked about how they just totally break you down and uh, squish you into nothing just about they they literally uh, you know they entice you to leave to ring the bell to say I quit and and so they break you down they build you up and then they train you he, he talked about having to fight past fatigue and the elements they'd put him in the freezing cold water in the winter and all these things and he had to fight past his emotions. And and he had to fight all the way through to the point where he made it through this But he made a point that the, the power is not in one super awesome dynamic Navy SEAL It's in one guy being broken down built back up thoroughly trained and participating within the context of a team They're SEAL teams No one guy is good enough to just say hey, can you go take care of this problem in another part of the world They fight as teams. They form a brotherhood. They say, I've got your back. You get mine. We'll fulfill our job. You see, the most impactful uh, people in all of the world are people that understand the value of working within the context of a team. And as people of faith, we have to come to the end of ourselves And we have to find our identity in Jesus and Him alone. And then we must find our place on His team so that we can fulfill the role that He has for us. We need a growing participation. But as this goes on, we'll see the second element today. We need a giving cooperation. Now, it's important for each of us to be a laborer. But the second part of this goes on to say this. For we are laborers together. Together. Friends, please hear this today. We're not just called to work. We're called to work together. Together. Paul's writing to an entire church that frankly was underperforming in many ways. And he said one sign of spiritual maturity is the fact that we come to the point where we say you know something god's in charge this is his farm i'm just a worker on his farm bringing in his harvest and i'm to be a laborer and then paul says let's take it to the next level we're to be laborers together we're to work together not every cliche i've heard is true but i don't mind that cliche it takes teamwork to make the dream work that's really what paul was saying here he said listen church you guys are arguing about who your favorite pastor is or what your favorite ministry is and this and that unimportant non. Essential stuff. He said what God is calling us to do for to be an exponential kind of church. He's calling us to labor together To work with one another Every church that's made a massive impact for God has been filled with people who made a commitment to cooperate within the work 1969 NASA put three men on the moon Neil Armstrong as he stepped on the moon. He made that famous Statement, and in that statement, he said, One small step. One small step. For man, it was, but he talked about it was a massive stride for mankind. One small step. Neil Armstrong got to step out of a spacecraft onto the moon. One small step. You know, the fact of the matter is, while that one man made that first step, that small step, did you know there were over 400,000 people? that were working on that specific mission. 17,000 of those were full-time engineers working at the Kennedy Space Center. In fact, there were over 500 people who worked full-time for years just on the suits that these guys would wear, these these space suits. It It was a moment, a small step, and it was made famous by one person. But there were hundreds of thousands of people behind that one step that was taken. That's how progress happens. People working together, sharing a common goal, finding their part in the process, and working diligently. I talked about a moment ago when the apostles were. A bit frustrated as the church was growing, they had to accommodate their their structure to meet the needs of more people. But even before that, as the church started growing in an incredible way, there were these growing pains and challenges to threaten the uh, the progress of the church. and And what ha- what had happened is this: many of the first pr- converts to the to the Lord in Jerusalem had traveled from other places around the world. They'd come for a religious festival, and that was the day Peter stood up in the power of God the Spirit and he preached the gospel. And, and on that first service, more than 3,000 people got saved and baptized because that's what saved people do is they follow the Lord and believers baptism. All that happened on one Sunday. But a lot of these people that got saved and baptized, they were not from Jerusalem. They came from out of town. They just came for a festival. But now they're Christians and they want to learn and they want to grow. So as a group, they kind of make a decision, man, let's just stay here. I don't want to go home. I want to stay right here. I want to learn more about what it is to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And and they stayed. That caused some problems. That meant there were all of a sudden thousands of church members that had no jobs, no home, no means of meeting their needs. So the church had a challenge on their hands. How are we going to deal with this? Unique problem, unique time, unique situation. How are we going to deal with this? You know what they did? They came together in a giving cooperation. In Acts 4, and verse 32, the Bible says, And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul, neither said any of them that ought of the things which he possessed was his own, but they had all things common. I'll tell you what happened. They said, guys, why don't we come together and cooperate? And through our giving, this need can be met. The Bible says he had all things in common. This was not communism, as some have written about. This wasn't even socialism. No, uh, that doesn't work. It breaks down everywhere. It's been tried. This was a group of Christians. Christians that came together and said, hey, we're facing a unique situation in this unique moment. What do you think we could do about it? And they came together, they shared a common goal, and they worked. They understood this. No one person can do everything, but everybody can do something. And they had the kind of heart that thought, what is it that is for me to do? They just stepped forward in a giving cooperation, and needs were met. Coastline, please hear me today. This is how any church moves forward. This is how Coastline will move forward. You see, the answer for our church is not to just get one super good pastor. Just one super good pastor. Or maybe if we could just get one super rich benefactor to come in. That, that, that's not how it works. Thank God there are some great pastors in his churches. Thank God there are some wealthy Christians that, uh, that, that have given in wonderful ways. But But I want to tell you, by and large, how it is that the church of Jesus Christ moves forward. It's just each person finding their role and saying, God, what is it that you would have for me to do? Exponential churches emerge from people who understand that their role is valid and valuable It matters not if you're outside greeting people or serving as an usher or receiving an offering or turning a knob back there Or singing a song every function within the local church is valuable and each role that we fulfill is Valid people of faith have understood this when it comes to the local church It's never about our position in the church. It's about our mission as a church and we've got to come together in agreement and say, God, what would you have me to do? Back in our passage, Paul, the apostle said, you know, some plant, some water. It doesn't much matter. It's God that uses all of it to his glory to bring about a great harvest. In Ephesians 4, we read these words in verse 16. For whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth According to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. But Paul was teaching there that, 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 that the body of the church, they find their best increase when every part, as he says, when every part works together. Friends, exponential results in a church uh, that, that doesn't just participate, but we cooperate. We are laborers, but we understand the Bible says we're to be laborers together. I'll ask a couple questions I'll ask again at the end. First of all, are you laboring for the Lord? So understand that means to work to the point you got tired. Are you a laborer? Second question, are you a laborer together? Are you working within the context of cooperation with a church family sharing? A goal that we find in the word of God. And that leads us to the third lesson that we'll see this morning. We find finally here a guiding authorization. Paul completes this statement we're studying today to give us a complete understanding. And he said, we are laborers. There's the first part. We're laborers together. There's the second part. And we're laborers together uh, with God, with Jesus Christ. And uh, when we understand that we're laborers with God, there's an implication there. It means we're going where he's going. We're doing what he's doing. Uh, if, if we were going somewhere and you said, hey, I'm with Steve, you're with me, that would imply I, I'm with him. I'm going where he's going. Whatever he's into, that's what I'm going to do. I'm, I'm with him. And when the Bible says that we're laborers and we're together and we're doing so with God, with, with the Lord, it, it means that he's in charge. And can I remind you today, church? We do not have to wonder what Jesus would have us do through our collective labor. We don't have to wonder. It's not a mystery. It's not up for interpretation. It's not a gray area. It's it's not subjective. I want you to know, we do not have to wonder what Jesus would have us do as his church. He couldn't have been more clear. In the passage we call the Great Commission in Matthew 28, he said, Go ye therefore... And teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Jesus said, Here's what I want you to be busy doing. Understand we're a bunch of nobodies doing all we can to tell everybody about somebody. And his name's Jesus Christ. He said, that's what it's all about. We all do a lot of things in life that are very necessary and important in their own way, but I want you to know if you're a person of faith, there's nothing more important than plugging into that which God is doing. Many times as believers, I think we get off track. We, we pray prayers like, uh, God, would you help me to know uh, what, what your will for my life is, as though God has crafted a unique will for each one of us. There's a unique role for each one of us. God says, here's a better way of looking at this. Why don't you understand that I have a will today, and why don't you pray to be a part of my will for the world? And God's will is that people would come to know of the gospel message, so that they can have an opportunity to be saved. Now, forgive me for talking more about our church, and I, I don't forgive me. Understand, I'm talking more about our church. I'm not apologizing. I actually thought about what I'm going to say today, but um, I know I'm talking more about our church in this message than, than a normal one, because I want to make a very specific uh, application. Uh, we, we've got places to go, church family. And what we don't want to do is run up to the red line and then start getting ready. I want to do my very best as a pastor to even start laying a foundation now because, you see, that time's coming where we're going to have to make a decision. Are are we going to labor together with God so that more people can be reached or not? It's not hard for me to look at the uh, trajectory of our growth over the last 20 years. I- I've seen the, uh, the the schematic. I've seen the line. And-, and it's not hard for me to imagine if we just do what it is we've shown that we habitually do. We- we're not more than a year or two away from no longer being able to welcome new folks coming in. And we're uh, using this property the best of our ability. And-, and-, and we're not a perfect church. You guys all know that. But for 20 years, we've sought to do just what I'm talking about today. We've tried to be faithful to Jesus. We've tried to take him to our community uh, we've given to our missions teams around the world uh, last year 2018 about 15 percent of our offerings went to support uh, God's work in other places and I'm grateful for that but as we grow and develop as a church family it does a couple things first it, it enables us to reach more people in our part of the world When we say, God, I want to labor, I want to labor together, I want to labor with you, we'll reach more people in our our part of the world. But secondly, it provides a much larger base for helping more in other places too. As we yield to Jesus, we will live in an exponential life. And when we do that together, we'll get an exponential church. And exponential churches yield an exponential result. Jesus was talking about a life of giving in Luke chapter 6. Jesus said this, give. I always like to pause right there. It's a direct quote. Jesus said, give. I think that's an all-consuming, us. Like set the offering plate on the floor and just go ahead and step right on in it. Just give. He said, give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, shall men give into your bosom. For with the same measure that you meet, or that you give, With all it shall be measured to you again. You know what Jesus was saying there? He said our generosity can extend in ways and add in ways that we couldn't have imagined. He said there's an exponential result that comes from people that get the very first word in that verse of living a life of giving. When we live lives that are generous with our time and with the gifts God has given us and with the resources that we have, When we have a heart that says, I'm adding my part to that of the lives of others so that together we can go further for God than we ever could on our own, what's happening is that is an act of faith, it is an act of hope, and it is an act of love, and these are the things that Jesus told us we're to be pursuing, faith, hope, and love. And I think it's a seminal season for a church family when we get to come to a time like this in the, in the grand continuum of what it is that Coastline will be and do and become. I think it's a, it's a seminal moment for us to come back to a sermon like this that could not be more simple from a very small expression and just ask ourselves, am I a laborer? Could that term classify my level of service in the work of God? Am I a laborer together? Am I doing what I can to work in common, uh, participation and cooperation, and then am I with Jesus in the sense that he is in charge, he's calling the shots, he's empowering and enabling as I move ahead. In Alaska every year, there's a thousand mile dog sled race, it's called the Iditarod, and it runs from Anchorage to Nome, and it's uh, just a test of, of Endurance. People run this race, and of course, they want to win, and there are prizes, and there are, are benefits from winning the race, but really, it's kind of one of those things you just want to say that you finished, that you completed, that you ran the race. It's a rite of passage. It's, it's, it's a badge of honor that you can always look back on and say, that was, that was the moment where I proved what I can do. It's a daunting race, a difficult race. It requires sacrifice just to complete, just to complete it, but the race itself actually got its start in 1925. And that year, there was a six-year-old boy by the name of Richard Stanley, and he showed symptoms of a sickness called diphtheria. He was observed, and sure enough, he passed away the very next day. And the doctor in this small Alaskan town, a man by the name of Curtis Welch, he began to quarantine people. He knew what would happen if if this broke out. The entire community was only 1400 people but that doctor had known that a a sickness like that could take out an entire town in no time at all literally everybody could perish the nearest supply for the medicine that was needed was a thousand miles away in a town called nanana They couldn't get out of the harbor. The harbor was frozen closed. It was the middle of winter. They couldn't send an airplane. The airplanes they had there at that time were all open cockpit airplanes, and it was negative 60 degrees. There was no way to get a a boat or a ship out. There was no way to get an airplane out. And here's this doctor left just wondering how much time before invariably the sickness gets out, and everybody is killed. But an amazing thing happened. Some trappers and prospectors got together. They came up with a plan. A plan of how they'd take on the wilderness with their dog teams and they would operate really as relay stations from one trading post to one trapping station. Working together, they would uh, have provided uh, fresh mushers and dogs for the next leg. And so they pressed hard, but, but they had to be careful. It was so cold, if they inhaled too much, they would literally freeze their lungs and die. And die. They had to press through fatigue. They had to press through frostbite. Again, negative 60 degree winds were howling upon them. Only one other life was lost. And an outbreak that could have literally taken out an entire small town was averted. Because a team came together, it allowed them to accomplish something no one of them could have done. They each just said, hey, lives are at stake. I can't do it all, but I can take a leg of this journey. I can do my part. I can help. And physical lives were spared. Their effort was exponential. And friends, in a a sense, that's what I'm talking about today. I don't know a whole lot about diphtheria. I know it can take your life quickly. But we're living in a world that's also been absolutely plagued and ravaged. By sin and the wages of sin, spiritual death, separation from God. There's not one of us in this room that could say, you know, I'm going to absolutely all by myself turn this city upside down for the cause of Jesus Christ. But I believe that of each of us would have a heart that would say, you know something, when it comes to my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the one that loves me, the one that died for me, I want my life to be characterized as a life that labors for his cause. I want to do what God would have me to do. Uh, Yeah, I want to be a good family person. I want to be a diligent worker. I want to be a good citizen. All of those things. But, you know, I want to be a laborer for my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I want to participate in his work. And then I want to cooperate in his work. There are no perfect churches because people go to churches, but I want you to know this is still God's plan. And what's going to make coastline tick is when a group of people come together and say hey If we can share a commonality around that which jesus has asked us to do I'll do my part. You do your part. It's not about the position. It's about the mission It's about understanding that each of us uh, have a valid role and our role is valued We're to do what we do for the glory of god. Yes, I'll I'll participate and and I will uh, work with others But then we've got to come to that point where we say and i'm going to do this with jesus christ He's calling the shots. He's leading the way, and he's the one that is enabling me as I go. You see, I believe in the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the only antitoxin for the epidemic of sin. I know that much of our world would laugh at me, but uh, I'll tell you how old-fashioned I am. I believe every word of this book right here. Out a Bible once it said, "Holy Bible on the front, I even believe those words. I believe that Jesus Christ is God the Son to the glory of the Father. I believe that He lived a perfect, sinless life, that He died by being hung on an old rugged cross, that three days later He victoriously rose again from the dead. He ascended to the right hand of God the Father, that God the Spirit has come to indwell believers. We gather today in local churches to learn to live as He would have and to carry out His work. And I believe that when people understand that we're sinners and we confess our sins and we repent, trusting Jesus as our Savior, that we'll have. presence in our life and that we'll spend eternity in heaven with him and sadly I believe today that those who do not accept the message of Jesus Christ that they'll spend eternity in a place I don't even like to talk about but it's a place that Jesus talked much about in fact more than heaven Jesus warned of hell and I see the, the stakes just that high We're God's outpost in northern San Diego County. I know we're not the only one, but I'm talking to one. We're we're an outpost for the work of God in our area. Just like those people in that town came together and said, listen, this this thing's not going to happen without a fight. We're going to do our best. We're going to have to work, and we're going to have to work together. And friends, I'm saying today that as we are laborers together with God, Byproduct of that is that God will pull something out of our lives and out of our collective labor. That's exponential in 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 the way it emerges It'll make the greatest difference Possible at the end of our life. I promise you what will matter to us What have we done for the Lord that's been used in an exponential way, it's still going I Want you to think of that thought with me again these questions Are you laboring? Are you laboring together? And then are we laboring together with God? I want us today to decide to have a heart that is eager to be and do all that God would have. Our Father, we're thankful this morning to open your word and to be challenged. Lord, I'm thankful for the boldness, the courage of the Apostle Paul who shared what needed to be said. God, I pray that you would help us to deal with the the brutal reality of the stakes that are at hand. Lord, I'm thankful for our church family, for the much good that has been done. But Lord, as we look to the future, I pray that we'd be the kind of a church that loves you so intensely and loves others so deeply that we do whatever it is that needs to be done for more people to be reached with the gospel message. Help us, we pray. Our heads are bowed and in just a few moments we'll be on our way home this was a very direct passage of scripture